morning, church family. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you find with me the book of 2 Corinthians? And if you would be so kind as to find 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and today I'd like to continue our worship by preaching to you basically one verse. Now, if you're slightly hungry, don't get your hopes up. You're not going to get to lunch any earlier. It's just one verse, but my, oh my, what an incredible verse it is. If you are a guest of ours, I know that you've already been welcome, but you are also joining us at a unique and significant time. It is an honor for us to come and to sing praises to our King. It's also an honor to open His book and to preach through it book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. In fact, we're in the book of Exodus as a church, but we've hit pause on that. We're going back into that in just a few weeks. A young lady growing up in our middle school ministry asked me a few moments ago, Pastor, when are we getting to the plagues? The plagues are coming. We're going to get to those in just a few weeks. But before we do, I hit pause to launch something very significant in the life of our church. Now, if you're not new to Church at the Mill, you're well aware of what's going on. Two weeks ago, I had the honor of standing before you to sort of give a State of the Union address, not only for our church, but also for our community. And we began a journey called More Than Ever. I told you we were really facing a moment as a church. There are some moments in life that just matter more than others. And the best way I could define this moment was to say that it existed around three equally true statements. Number one, God has been really, really good to our church. More than ever, we are experiencing His blessings. Secondly, more than ever, our community needs the gospel. I shared with you the verified statistic that 70% of our county is not connected to a life-giving, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, gospel-preaching church. That means if you passed 10 homes today on your way to church, which you passed many more than that, for every 10 homes you passed, seven of them represent a family or a household of some sort that are not connected to a church. And we want to push that number down. We want to be a part of seeing more people find a right relationship with God through Christ and find peace and love in the unity and the harmony of fellowship inside of the church. The third statement was, more than ever, we've got to do something about it. I, I won't begin to explain to you why because I don't know fully why. But for whatever reason, God has thrown open the floodgates and continues to bless our church. We're seeing more and more guests than ever before, more and more people join, and I can assure you, it is not because of some strategy or genius leadership or some uh, effort we have behind the scenes to crack the code. It's not that at all. The best description I could give you is that there's some amazing people on our staff and inside of our laity who are doing amazing work leading out with their faith, and God is honoring that. And for us to look at the numbers of people that are coming into our church, the numbers of children that we've been blessed to influence, the numbers of people who are joining us today via uh, technology, via the online ministry, and at Woodruff on our Woodruff campus, and at Lake Cooley in our Lake Cooley campus, for us to look at that and to be in awe of what God is doing is a good thing. But then we have to do the second thing, which is to say, Lord, what would you have us do with all this momentum and all this growth? We don't live for growth. We don't measure success by numerical numbers or numerical figures. But what would you have us do? What are we going to held responsible? How will we be held responsible to make a difference with the people and the resources and the growth that we are experiencing? 
And that ultimately led me to the conviction over a year ago with the men and women around me who provide so much counsel and leadership to call us to another season of understanding our vision. More than ever, we've got to do something about it. So our vision at Church at the Mill, we're now communicating this way. We want to seek to become a deeply faithful, remarkably healthy, highly impactful, multi-site church. Every one of those words has meaning, and that's what we're doing during this sermon series. We're taking some time to really unpack what those words mean, to be deeply faithful, to not move off the truth of God's Word, to be remarkably healthy, to not allow scale to rob us of real relationships which have made so many people's lives better, greater, and fuller through the ministry of this church, and then to be highly impactful. This is probably the newest iteration of our vision, to say we're so thankful for this beautiful facility and our wonderful campus and how wonderful the traffic is around. Oh, well, wait, we're not thankful for that. But we are so thankful for all that we've been given. But if we keep it, if we hoard it, if we hold on to it and we enjoy the journey of being a wonderful church with lots of smiling faces and beautiful teachers, men and women serving your children and investing in the next generation and a committed staff, and we just pat ourselves on the back And forget the fact that 70% of this county is not connected to a life-giving church. And last year alone, 10,000 people moved to Spartanburg County. We are the 12th fastest-growing city in the United States as of this summer. And when you think about that, you think, well, what would God hold us responsible to do? I'll tell you, it's real simple. Everything we can. Do everything we can to see every community impacted with the gospel. And that's the idea of being highly impactful and multi-site. And in thinking about that, the words more than ever came right out of a passage I won't preach this morning in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, after a very difficult time of judgment where God displayed his justice among the church, the fear of the Lord and the love of Christ took over in such a way that Luke writes, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And that's where we're getting this language from. So what is more than ever? Let me give you the definition very clearly. More than ever is a three-year spiritual journey of generosity to provide financial funding for debt retirement and the expansion of more campuses. Why? Because our desire is to enlist every member. This is important. I just want to hit pause. Look at me. You should expect every leader of any organization you are a part of to understand the vision. If he or she doesn't understand the vision, your organization is doomed. Whether it be a company, a factory, a ball team, an elementary school, it doesn't matter. If the leader doesn't understand what the group of people are trying to accomplish, it's doomed. That's true for churches too. The vast majority of churches are unhealthy because there's no vision in the pulpit. But I know, you know, that I know the vision. I know that's confusing. Let me say it again. I know that you know that I understand the vision. That's not the point. It really makes no difference whether or not I can clearly articulate and passionately advocate for our vision. It's whether or not you can. It's whether or not you can sit on the bleachers at a Little League game or on the tailgate of a job site 
It's whether or not you can sit with someone in a break room at work or sit with someone in your car as you ride to lunch or talk with someone in a cul-de-sac at the end of a day as your children play. And for you to be able to say, this is what the Lord is doing in our church. This is what the Lord is doing through our ministries. That's my desire, which is why I try to articulate it so clearly. I want us as a people to do everything we can to be deeply faithful, to, to be remarkably healthy, and to be highly impactful. And I do not want it to be centralized around one personality or one beautiful facility. I want it to lead to outposts not only all over the nation and the world through missions and church planning, but all over this bursting community of ours with healthy, life-giving churches. And these campuses will be led by live pastors, preachers. When your life struggles, when everything hits the fan, a screen cannot shepherd your heart. You need a shepherd who lives in your community, who knows you and who loves you and who can lead you. And not only do you need one man, you need a team of men and women. And this is what we tried to plant in Woodruff. And this is what we've planted in Lake Cooley. And this is what I would love to see us plant one day on the east side of town. This is what I'd love to see us plant in every community where the Lord says, I want you to go there. We want to be ready to go there. So we are not, so we are not just another church that made a great run for about 20 years and then upon the retirement of the senior pastor, we become a shell of what we once were. I do not want to be that. I want to be a place that produces the next generation of preachers and teachers and leaders and worship leaders. I want to be a place where you teach your children the mobility of missions because I want to come to some of you who drove 15 and 20 and 25 minutes today and I want to say, now I want you to go back to your neighborhood. And it's really not about you as much as I love seeing you and being with you. It's not about you. If you drove 15, 20, 25 minutes today, you know why you did? Because you love your church. You're good. Many of you know the Lord. You have a small group. You've already served in our children's ministry. You're doing well. It's not about you, though. It's about your next-door neighbor who's much more likely to visit church with you if church is in your community. Versus driving 15 and 20 and 25 and 30 minutes across an ever-increasingly populated town. That's the vision. I want you to get that. In fact, you have my permission. If you see me in public, walk up to me, grab me by the collar, pull me in close, and say, Pastor, I'm doing everything I know to do to help you and everyone else be a deeply faithful, remarkably healthy, highly impactful, multi-site church. And that has to be driven by our vision, and we've always communicated our vision by what we do. We want people to gather and grow and give and go, gather for worship and small group, grow in their faith, give of their time and their talents, and to go out into the world. We're not moving away from that. Those have been at the level of behavior, and I think that's a good thing. But all behavior is driven by values. How many of you got anybody ready for church this morning under the age of 10? Raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Now, how many of you with your hand up also got your husband ready? God bless you. God bless you. You, 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 you know what it's like. Today, today, I have never offered my wife very much help at all on Sundays. It's kind of part of the gig. It's a work day for me. I'm here well before she gets here. So part of a pastor's wife call is to get the family ready and get them to church on time. And she does an incredible job of that. I just happened to walk down the hall right as Evie. Y'all know Evie, right? She's not in the room. We're praying for her. 
She's five. She's beautiful. She is not saved yet. <laughs> Evie was about 15 seconds from having a total meltdown because she didn't get to walk with her little friend to her Sunday school classroom. And when Evie doesn't get what Evie thinks she needs, meltdown time. I just happened to come around the corner and Laurel looked at me like, it is good to see you. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I got handed Evie and Evie and I went in the stairwell on the children's wing and we did an attitude adjustment. <laughs> and now I certainly didn't spank her. I just talked with her and tried to cheer her up. I was a little firm and a little fun. That's how we parent. Laurel's the consistent nurturer. She's the one who keeps us alive. I'm the fun and the firm parent. You want to have a good time or you want to have a bad time? I'm your guy. <laughs> Laurel's the consistent one. That's how it works. Everybody does it differently. That's worked for us so far. We'll let you know. Verdict's still out, but we'll let you know. And so as I, as I was walking her up to her classroom, I passed all the other little ones. And it, and it, just, it just reminded me in that moment when I deal with a child and you deal with a child, you have to remind them of what's important and help them shift their focus off why they're upset to what really matters. That is not so different than your life. Your values drive your behavior. Values drive your decision-making and your direction. And at Church of the Mill, we thought it was time to make sure everybody knew what we valued. Because if you're a guest of ours, I don't want you to be the least bit nervous. Perhaps you're visiting with family members or you're new to our church. Even though our people are gladly going to make a financial commitment on October the 22nd, when we all come together for the next three years, and we're going to do that sacrificially and boldly together. We're going to do it because we've done it a few other times in our church's life. It's why you're sitting in this room, because people chose to give above and beyond their tithes and offerings. We're going to use those dollars in three directions. We're going to continue to get debt-free. You're sitting in a $16.8 million facility, and by God's grace, we owe less than 7.4 this morning, and we've been in it for four years. That is remarkable. But we want to get debt-free because we would rather invest money in the kingdom than service alone. And that money that will be freed up will be used for missions and ministry, not to build another big building on our campus, but to see life-giving campuses in other places. We're also going to set aside the money we need to help our campuses. Tonight, I'm going down to the Woodruff campus to have an ice cream social, and we're going to talk about their commitment, and I'm going to challenge them. You know what I can say to the Woodruff congregation this morning, those 400 that are worshiping there weekly? I can say to them, you wouldn't be here were it not for the vision and the generosity of those at Central Campus. And many of those folks were sitting where you were three years ago and felt God to lead them to go and to worship in a church closer to their community. The same is true for Lake Cooley. And the same will be true for every future campus we launch in the upstate. The point is, those decisions take resources, and we need everybody pulling in the same direction. And the upfront costs associated with launching a campus are not just about securing facilities, it's also about securing the right staff and the gifted men and women to lead them. But if you're a guest of ours, fear not. We don't want your money. Our God's not broke. I told you that last week. I'm going to continue to do that. 
I do not want to ever be accused of being a church that's gimmicky or high pressure when it comes to finances. I will unapologetically challenge and join the members of Church at the Mill to invest sacrificially, financially to accomplish our vision so that we can continue to make a place for every guest that's in this room. And if God leads you to go on the journey from being a guest to being a member, we expect you to get off the wagon, grab some rope, and pull with us. But as you do so, what you'll find is that being a part of something eternal and significant that you can trust in a world of cynicism and gimmicks and, and, and even the abuse of the nonprofit sector is so refreshing. And so as I share that vision with you and I think about where we are as a church, you need to know what we value. We value the glory of God in worship. We value the gospel of God above everything. We value the preaching of God in the word of God. We value the legacy of God in the next generation. We value the growth of God in us, the mission of God to the nations, and the love of God in community. Those are the things we value. And we are saying to everyone, we value these most. First the gospel, then the word, then of course the response to the word. And this morning, that's what I'd like to share with you about. Those two values, the word of God in preaching and the glory of God in worship. You know why? Because Sundays matter. I had a little fun a few minutes ago, but every one of you that got your children up today, you don't know it, but you've already blessed them. As difficult as it can be, what you said when you got up this morning is, I want to profess my faith in Christ, and I want to profess my faith in Christ with a group of people who I am also committed to. Sundays matter. Now, you're in a church with good theology. We're not perfect. We're always searching the Scriptures to try to make sure that our lives align with the Lord's will. But I can tell you as the leader of our church, we don't teach that you must be at church to be saved. Nothing can save you but the blood of Christ. But I will tell you that people who are truly saved by the blood and walking with Him, there's a pattern in their life. It is you find them wanting to be with God's people. Sundays matter. In fact, if I were going to give this one little sermon off this one little verse, a little title, it would be that, that Sundays matter. In fact, that flows into the multi-campus model. This morning at Woodruff, there was a group of people under the Word of God worshiping the Lord that was not there two, three years ago. At Lake Cooley this morning, there's a group of people that were not there. They were not there in that place at that scale over uh, just a year ago. And can you imagine what it would be like if we as a church leveraged the tremendous growth that God has given us so that one day there's not a single community in Spartanburg where you're less than just a few miles away from a place on Sunday where a man of God would give the people of God the Word of God and the people of God would give the God of heaven their worship in response to what the Savior of the world is doing in their life. I see it. I see it as real as I'm standing here before you today, and I think we're on the precipice of something very significant, but you have to see it. Paul saw it. Paul understood the significance of Sundays because Sundays, gathering on the Lord's Day, began as soon as the resurrection happened. Now, the pattern of worship being around singing and the Word of God predated the life, 
death and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, way back in the book of 2 Chronicles, the scripture tells us this passage, and it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other instruments in praise to the Lord, the chronicle writer goes on to say, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So the people gathered for worship was such a special manifestation of the presence of God, the priests struggled to do their priestly duties. Now, I think truth matters. Let me give you some. God is omnipresent. It just means he is not like you and I, limited to space and time. God is a spirit. He is not flesh and blood. This is what makes Christ so special. Christ became flesh and blood, took on the form of man, became fully man. And Jesus is still fully man, the God-man. 100% God and 100% man, the risen Messiah, is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father in the Godhead in heaven. Now, we know that God, of course, as spirit, is in all places. There is nowhere today that you can go where the presence of God is not there. But in addition to his presence in all places at all times, he manifests his presence in special ways. For example, if you're here this morning and you have a relationship with Christ, you would say, Pastor, I am a born-again Christian. I have been saved. I am going to heaven, not because I'm perfect, but because I received in response to my faith and repentance the free gift of salvation through trusting Christ and the finished work of his death and the shedding of his blood on the cross. The Bible teaches that upon salvation, the moment you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And the presence of God is in you forever. It will never change, and your salvation can never be taken away. Now, there are many people who profess the presence of God, but the life they live does not bear evidence. The evidence of an inward presence of God will be the outward bearing of spiritual fruit. Not perfection, but God working to transform you outwardly from his seat in your heart inwardly what he's already declared you to be eternally. Now, that's just good theology. You need to remember that. But there are also other places God manifests his presence. And one of those is in the corporate worship of the church. We just worship differently together than we do apart. Should you worship individually? Sure. Is worship consigned and relegated only to Sunday mornings? Of course not. But there is a pattern that's not been invented by programs or ministry. It was biblical where God's people come together. I think about what God does in worship. I love what the psalmist says. Look what Psalm says in Psalm 73. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. So this brother's not in a good place. If I had said I will speak thus, in other words, if I said I would say something about it, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. I wanted to say what I was going through, but I didn't know what to say. And if I had said it, it would not have made any sense and it would have misled people. 
But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Have you ever come to church with more questions than answers, with more tears than laughter, with more sorrows than joy? As I stand back there every single week, I always remind myself that somebody in this room is hanging on by a thread. Many of you are not. You're doing great. Some of you would say, I'm okay. I'm not great, but I'm okay. But somebody in this room is here and you are hanging on. It is took everything you have to be here. That's where this brother is. Now look what he says. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. When I got to church and got with God's people, clarity came. I can tell you that many people tell me that when they leave on Sundays, their problems have not disappeared, but their God got a little bigger in their mind. We cannot grow the Lord. He's full grown. But I can grow my appreciation of just how full grown he is. And this is what happens. In fact, the writer of Hebrews was so passionate about this. Do you know what he told the believers in the first century of the book of Hebrews? He says these words, and I'll put them on the screen. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So people had already started skipping church. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you notice the absence of legalism? He's not arguing if you're not in church, then you're condemned to hell. He's saying, listen, walking with Christ is too hard to do alone, and Sundays matter. We need to come together, and when we come together, while we do many things, the two prominent things that God's people have always done is worship and respond to the Word. Within a hundred years of the death of the apostles, the second century leader of the church named Justin Martyr, it's where we get the word to martyr, to be martyred of the faith, to be killed because of your faith comes from his last name. Justin Martyr said these words about what was happening among Christians within a hundred years of the apostles. And on the day called Sunday, all who live in the cities are in the country. That means Moore or Woodruff gathered together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets. Remember, they're still canonizing Scripture, but guess what they put in the Scriptures? Everything that the apostles wrote, New Testament. Everything that the prophets wrote, Old Testament. So this is what he's saying. They took the Scriptures they had, which will become canonized within a few hundred years of his life. Writings of the prophets are read, as long as time permits, which is only 75 minutes, as long as time per- I just inserted that to see if you're awake. Stay with me. As long as, as long as time permits. Then, when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs, that's the person in charge, that's the language he used in the first century, you're not going to call me president, and exhorts to, the, exhorts to the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray. So within 100 years of the death of the apostles, less than that in some cases, 155 A.D. is when Justin Martyr wrote this, People gathered on Sundays under the Word to be instructed by the Word and to pray and to rise in worship. This is what they did. So what you're doing is not invented by a Western Christian movement. It was not invented at all. 
It was given to the church as a way to commemorate the resurrection. And it drives our value. We value the Word of God in preaching and the glory of God in worship. And this is why I asked you to turn a few moments ago to 2 Corinthians. Paul is writing about the ministry of the Word. And this is what he says beginning in verse 14 when he contrasts his behavior to the conflict that had already come and been resolved between him and the Corinthian believers. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, verse 15, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. He's so overwhelmed by this responsibility. Look what he writes. Who is sufficient for these things? Like who can do this? What church is worthy to represent Christ to the world? And then look at verse 17, our verse of focus. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Church family, Sundays matter. It matters that we gather for the worship of God by singing his word and for the preaching of God's glory through the explanation and application of his word. Now, you may say, Pastor, this is the most perfect example of preaching to the choir. We're here. It's not us you should share with. Listen to me. Don't miss the connection between the vision. I know you're here, but 10,000 people moved here last year, and seven out of 10 families aren't here. And by here, I mean in any Bible-believing, gospel-loving, Jesus-preaching, Spirit-filled church. I believe, and I say this with a great deal of heaviness, we're going to be responsible with this amazing opportunity we've been given. I think when it's all said and done on you and me, God's going to hold us accountable. Did we leverage the way he's blessed our church to create more Sunday opportunities for more people in more places? And the interesting thing is this passage is not about Sunday worship. It's about the ministry of the Word, which is central to Sunday worship. In fact, the Word has always been central to God's people. I think about what Paul told young Timothy, a pastor who he left there at a church in trouble. He says in the book of 1 Timothy, all Scripture, 2 Timothy rather, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. This is why we believe so passionately in unleashing campuses where someone stands in their place in that community and opens the book. I think about the revival in Nehemiah 8. I won't put it on the screen. I won't go there and read it. But as Ezra leads out a service in Nehemiah chapter 8, the people beg for the prophets and the priests, rather, to bring out the book. And they read from the book. And then the priests circulated in the crowd and explained to the people what the book meant. And then the people worshiped in response to the greatness of God that had been shown in the book. So can you imagine one day you saying, I'm a part of a church 
where the Word of God is not preached in one place, but it's preached in multiple places and in multiple locations with great faithfulness, and that it's taught in many small groups across many homes and in many buildings by many men and women who have the gift to explain the Scriptures to us. This is so important. And this is why verse 17 really sets it up and tells us exactly what we need to know. He says in verse 17, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. Notice the sincerity of his motive. He said, I'm not a peddler of it. I'm not using it. We're not manipulating it. It's why I tell you guests, I'm not interested in you worrying about any financial commitment. We don't want anything from you other than for you to be impacted and encouraged by the truth of God's Word. But for you members, we also don't want you to invest in a ministry that's going to build itself on one personality or one brand or one leader with one set of characteristics. No, we want to unleash dozens, perhaps even hundreds of future leaders to go out and do this because we're not peddling anything for profit. We preach so that people's lives will be changed by the glory of God as displayed in worship. And this is why Paul said we're not a peddler. It's, it's not about us. It's about the Word and what God does through the Word. And, and, then, and then no sooner has he dealt with the the sincerity of his motive, he talks about the strength of his ministry. What leads to solidarity among a network of campuses one day? Where do we find our hold? Look what he says in verse 17. He says these words, For we are not like many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, watch these next two phrases, as commissioned by God in the sight of God. You want our church to be strong? You want your life to be strong? Remember this. You are sent by God, and you are seen by God. In other words, Paul said, my affirmation is not from the crowd. It's from the Lord. The Lord sent me. In verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, I don't have time to exegete them this morning. But Paul says, we're the aroma of Christ. We smell like death to those who are dying and life to those who are living. I, I want to say this, as excited as I am, this is a good thing. A lot of awesome answered prayers are happening even this week that I get to tell you about in the future that I can't right now. So, so I am full of joy when I tell you this, but as your pastor, I want you to know, if we're serious about pushing back darkness and leveraging this window of opportunity, and I hope you are because I am with everything in me, it's going to get hard. It's not going to be popular. It's going to be difficult. I, I think about what, what I read this week about my home state and where I went to college at Auburn University. It almost did it yesterday. Mm. But more importantly to our performance yesterday on the gridiron was a worship service that took place and it's been well documented where over 100 students voluntarily chose to be baptized on campus in a body of water and even the current head football coach who has his own testimony of redemption after falling hard into sin participated and helped one of the players be baptized. 
Now, it made the rounds among Christians on Twitter, and people praised it, were excited. There is a movement happening on college campuses. Everybody I know in collegiate ministry says there's a spiritual thirst and, and that God is up to something in the next generation. And I, for one, say, yay, I'm excited about that. It's why I care so deeply about our next-gen ministry, and it's why the men and the women who lead that ministry are on the front edge of what we're doing to push back darkness. It's why I'm thankful for what we're trying to do in the legacy of God, which we'll talk about next week. But in addition to the publicity, there have been some who are now threatening Auburn University with lawsuits because they hate the name of Christ being preached on a public campus, even though the campus is belong, belongs to taxpayers, and the taxpayers are under the Constitution of the United States, which gives us freedom to exercise our faith according to our own convictions. And no single student was forced to go to this rally, and certainly no student was forced to be baptized. It was clearly a choice they made. Yet people hate the name of Christ. And so what we have to recognize with this weightiness, when it's popular, don't read your own press clippings. We're just one of many sister churches trying to be faithful. There is nothing spectacular or special about us in and of ourselves. But listen, when it's unpopular, don't get discouraged. Don't blink. Don't blink. Don't move. Because what happens is when the blinders comes off of those people, even the ones that once hated the church or pushed back against faith in Christ, fall in love with the people that did not give up on the task. And then we get to the final phrase, the substance of his message. Look at verse 17. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, I love this, we speak in Christ. This idea of speaking in Christ is bursting with meaning. It, it's the idea that Paul speaks in the power of Christ, the message of Christ, about the person of Christ. It's why in the first chapter of the first letter we have, which he wrote to 1 Corinthians, to Corinthians rather, to the church in Corinth, he says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. That's everybody. Jews and Greeks, that's everybody. But we preach Christ. Paul says, I, I just have a person to preach, crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But then watch this. But to those who were called, to the ones Christ graciously saves, to the ones who respond to his call of salvation, but to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Church at the mill cannot change Spartanburg County. We better not try. Listen, I'm going to say that again. I don't care if we have four campuses or 12. I don't care if one day there's 500 worshiping at our church or 5,000 or 50,000. Listen to me. This vision is not built on our church, our programs, our ministries. And, and I would even go so far as to say our articulated vision being the way in which people's lives are changed. Oh, it's so much better than that. We have a Savior who loves them. Before you got to this community, Christ already died for it. He and He alone is sufficient to be preached and taught and worshiped and adored. 
And then when we lift him up, he says, if you'll make much of me, I'll draw men unto myself. And so you and I, thinking about the direction of our church, thinking about our financial investment, thinking about our service, thinking about our own personal walk, has to go back down to this. Do you know him? Do you love him? Is he the central figure in the daydreams of your life? Does he feel your purpose? Do you pour every decision through the filter of what brings him glory? What does his word say? What does his kingdom demand? And the more you and I do that, what happens is, is that deep calls to deep. That's what the scripture says. And all of a sudden, everything in creation points to his glory. When the thunder claps, I'm reminded of his power. When the lightning strikes, I see his brightness. When the waves of the ocean crash, never stopping, I'm reminded of the depth of his power and the consistency of his love. When the mountains display the glory of God, I'm reminded that Christ is the one who holds them in his hand. And then for him to say, I'm going to give my salvation to this people that they may make it known. How could we not worship? And that's why Sundays matter. Sundays don't matter to fix you or save you or make you feel a little better. Sundays matter because the King of glory has been with you since Monday. And by the time you walk with him on Saturday, get me to church on Sunday because I want to see his glory manifest among his people. And I want to be a part of a church where a prayed up, hot-hearted servant of God cracks open the Bible and just gives them the book so that the Word of God begins to change people, not because they see the pastor as some expert, but because through his gifts and his calling, the power of the risen Lord is displayed in their life. And then they walk out of those doors with struggles, with dilemmas, with disease, with discouragement, facing depression, facing discouragement, knowing divorces come and sometimes they happen, but they walk out with their chest out saying, I know a God who is great than all of my sorrow. He's bigger than all of my problems. And he's coming back. And until he comes back, he has but one job for me to do. Bring glory and honor to him in every situation. And I just think every person in this county deserves a church near their home that'll give them that. And that is the vision of Church at the Mill. That's what we want. That's what we want. So how, how could you not worship him? The miracle of all miracles. I finished early. You know why? Because I don't want to have an invitation. The prayer room's open. I want you to use it if you need it. I'd just like to close in worship. How could we not sing? Pastor said enough. You don't need to listen to me. The Lord needs to listen to us. Don't leave. Don't rush out. Stand and let's worship.